Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the second letter of Corinthians. Since then, we have such a hope, we act with great boldness, not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the end of the glory that was being set aside. But their minds were hardened. Indeed, to this very day, when they hear the reading of the Old Covenant, that same veil is still there. Since only in Christ is it set aside. Indeed, to this very day, when Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the, Christ, Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same spirit, same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Do you mind if I move this a little closer? You guys are in the spit zone, so sorry. Let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come from a variety of different places. Some of us come this morning doubting and others believing. Some come this morning believing the messages of their childhood, that they're not enough, that they'll never be enough. And some come with a deep sense of your delight. Some of us come depressed, others come joyful. No matter where we come from, no matter how we find ourselves this morning, would you remind us, God, that you are the one who runs toward us in the midst of our pain, who runs toward us in the midst of our doubting and believing, in the midst of our sadness and joy, and you throw your arms around us and remind us once again that we are the beloved. Remind us again this morning on this Transfiguration Sunday, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Good morning. Good to be with you. What a good weekend. It's been such a good weekend of, uh, of retreat with the 45 or so folks who came to talk about the contemplative mind for the contemporary world. What a sophisticated title. Only a title that Adam Bellion could come up with, right? Uh, we, we dwelled on this idea that goes back to St. Augustine that God is more near to us than we are to ourselves. That God dwells in you, that God dwells in me. And, and so, and I just happened to be here on Transfiguration Sunday. Like when you woke up this morning, did you think, I want to go to church, even though it's zero degrees outside, I want to go to church because it's Transfiguration Sunday. Of course I want to be there. Like, how many of you even knew that it was Transfiguration Sunday before you got here? <laughs> Thanks. In the peanut gallery, they're raising their hands. And, and, and yet, and yet, all around the world, you know, in Moscow, Winnipeg, Canada, Chengdu, China, South Sudan, people are celebrating Transfiguration Sunday all around the world. People are celebrating this day. Um, but, but if you've been around church, you also know that Lent is coming. Adam just announced it. Lent is coming just a few days. Ash Wednesday will be here before you know it. And, and so before the dust of Ash Wednesday you have the dazzle of the transfiguration. 
Before the dust of Ash Wednesday, you have the dazzling Jesus at the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Uh, normally, the story is told on these Sundays of, of Peter and James and John following Jesus up the mountain, uh, seeing Him transfigured before their very eyes. But in our text this morning, in 2 Corinthians 3, Jesus is transfigured so that we can be transfigured. Jesus is transformed so that we can be transformed. Did you hear it in the text? Paul said, all of us with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. We're being transformed into the same image, just like Jesus. And if you listen really carefully, maybe you heard it. Paul is saying to you, now listen carefully, Paul is saying to you, you are glorious. You are glorious. You, you with a cleft palate, you are glorious. You with a lifelong handicap, you are glorious. You who have been marginalized because of, of your gender or your ethnicity, because you're a person of color, because of your gender identity, you are glorious. You with a story of abuse, you are glorious. You who didn't want to get out of bed this morning because of depression, you are glorious. And here we are on Sunday morning, on Transfiguration Sunday, sort of standing between Transfiguration Sunday, where we talk about how glorious we are, and Ash Wednesday, where in just a few days, the pastors will impose ashes on your foreheads and say, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Just a few days. It, it kind of, this reality of standing between these two days kind of reminds me of an old line from a Jewish rabbi, Rabbi Bunim, who once said this. He said, keep two pieces of paper in your pocket at all times. Keep two pieces of paper in your pocket at all times. On one piece of paper, write, I am a speck of dust. On the other piece of paper, write, the world was created for me. Keep two pieces of paper in your pocket at all times. One that says, I am a speck of dust, Ash Wednesday. And the other that says, the world was created for me. Both realities. You are loved and you are limited. You're holy and you're human. You're dignified and you're dust. And what I want to say to you this morning is both realities, both realities, hear this clearly, both realities are good news. They're really good news. And so, this morning is a really simple sermon. I did that thing where I wrote the long, complicated sermon, and then, like, I did the retreat. And at about 8 o'clock last night, I was like, this is way too long, way too complicated. Keep it simple, Chuck. And so, a really simple sermon. I just want to walk with you from the transfiguration through Ash Wednesday, and I want to share with you that good news. Start with the transfiguration. According to Paul, life on this side of Jesus is eye-opening. Life on this side of Jesus, Jesus' first coming, is literally eye-opening. Paul says we see the glory of the Lord. Uh, If you were here this weekend, we talked about contemplation, and I talked about the Latin words, the two Latin words that make up the word contemplation. So now if you weren't on the retreat, you get to hear it right here and right now. The two Latin words are, do you remember, any of you? The first one's really easy. Con. (laughs) And the second one is, anyone? Templum. Con templum. 
con, seeing or gazing, templum on, on sacred reality, on sacred things. Con, templum, gazing on the sacred. Paul says we see the glory of God. And in seeing, Paul says, you and I are transformed. The, the, the three the three Gospels that talk about this story, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell the story of Peter and James and John going up the Mount of Transfiguration. You just imagine, they're going up the Mount of Transfiguration, and before their very eyes, Jesus is transformed. Jesus is transfigured. Dazzling light. But I think what's even more astounding, and what we recognize on a morning like this, is that the Spirit dwells in you. The Spirit dwells in me. We are glorious. This is the way, this is the way C.S. Lewis puts it. He says, it is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses. That's you, by the way. To remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw her now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. You, me, if the veil is removed... We'd see each other in our full glory. We'd be tempted to, to worship. We bear the glory of God. You are glorious. Uh, do, you, do you believe this? Like, do you believe this deep down in your bones? Please say no. I don't believe this. I don't, I don't believe this. I've struggled with depression my whole life. There are days that uh, are really hard to get up. I can't quite lift myself out of bed. There are days there are weeks, there are sometimes months where it just feels like the dominant reality is the oldest message in my life that goes back to my childhood. You're not enough, Chuck. You'll never, ever really be enough. Do you, do you wrestle with your glory? Do you wrestle with your glory like one woman who I, I worked with a number of years ago in my therapeutic practice who thought that her disability defined her? She thought that her disability was a curse from God, God's verdict on her life and on her reality. Do you struggle with your identity, with your glory, like the man that I talked to who got fired about a month ago? And then the narrative that went around that was sort of spread through, through, the, uh, through the organization was that he was arrogant. And if you know this guy, he's the furthest from arrogant than, that you'd imagine. And yet he's beginning to believe that there's something wrong with him. Maybe I am arrogant. Maybe there is something wrong with me. And then you need only watch TV or scroll through social media to see the ads. The ads, you know, billions of dollars a year industry um, designed to create dissatisfaction in you. you, you your teeth aren't white enough, you know. Folks, I, I want you to know that this morning. Your teeth are not white enough. You don't have the car you deserve. And if only you'd sign up for the Chase Freedom Card, you'd have that elusive freedom that you long for. <laughs> this is the world that we live in. Do you believe that you're glorious? Deep down, do you believe that you're glorious? You see, Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, go back and read it later today. He's sort of doing a before and after thing. Um, it, it's sort of like extreme makeover Bible edition. Like extreme maker over a human edition. In the past, there was a veil over our faces, he says. In the past, our hearts were hardened. We couldn't see. Maybe even more importantly, we wouldn't see. And then something extraordinary happens. Jesus, in and through his own transfiguration, Jesus, in and through his own transformation, in his suffering, death, and resurrection, 
sends the Spirit to indwell us so that we can be transformed. And now the veil is gone. Now we're transformed. Do you know this show Fixer Upper with Chip and Joanna Gaines? Do you all watch this in Boulder, Colorado? Yeah. Um, I I watch it every so often. I confess. It's a Saturday morning. Sarah clicks it on. And and there they are. And and like right at the end of the show, they're going to do the big reveal, right? And they've got this thing. I don't know what you call it, but it's like, it's this big like image of the old house. It's like, like the family or the couple waiting for, to see their home for the first time. Like they see the old house on the screen, right? And then Chip and Joanna are like, are you ready to see your new home? And then it goes to a commercial. And then you wait for like two minutes because they're telling you your teeth aren't white enough and you don't have the right car and all that stuff. And it comes back and they pull the thing away and they see the house. They're like the dream home. It's the extreme makeover. They see the transformation. Oh, that was the house that, that was the house with the leaks and the, the walls that were crumbling. And then now, now it's new and it's beautiful and it's transformed. And what Paul says in the chapters after this is knowing that you're glorious, knowing that you reflect the glory of God is the thing that will help you through life's hardships. Like knowing this deep down in your being will sustain you through the pain of life. We long to know that God sees us. We long to know that God delights in us. We long to know that God sees us as glorious. This came home for me about 12 or 13 years ago. I was working with a woman who... Um, I don't know that I've ever worked with some, so I, I wear these different hats, I've been a pastor, therapist, spiritual director, professor, all these different fun things, um, but I really love counseling. I really love sitting with people in the midst of their stories of pain and confusion and depression and anxiety, and this woman who came to see me, like five foot five, 62 years old, was married to one of the most tyrannical terrorists of a husband that I've ever known. I mean, this was, just, this was just dark. This was just evil. And, uh, and when she came to me, like, there's nothing I could have said to her. Like, I couldn't have preached this sermon and said, you're glorious, because she couldn't have believed it, right? Like, I could have said this, but it, it wouldn't have gotten into her head, because what she'd known for so many years is that she's despicable, she's ugly, she's not worth it, she's not a good enough wife. So I, I couldn't, like, there's nothing I could say to get to her head, but, but then she kept coming back, like, week after week, month after month, she kept coming back, and I kept sitting with her, and she began to, to see in me a smile, a gaze, a look, like, she, like, when you look at me, you don't look at me with disgust, Chuck. You delight in me. You see me. You want more from me. Like just sitting with her and looking her in the eye allowed her to begin to believe that she was worth more than what she'd known in this um, tyrannical marriage that she was in. We long to be seen. We long to be known. Psychologists have been telling us this for 50 years. You know, a baby needs the gaze of her mom, the bond with her mom. Uh, The baby needs to know that mom loves her. We're born with mirror neurons. Because of God's good grace, we're born with mirror neurons so that when mom smiles at the baby, eventually the baby smiles back, right? But if mom or dad looks at the baby with disgust for the first 10 years of their their life, what do you think the baby is going to internalize? The gaze is so important. The smile, 
reminds us that we're loved, that we're secure, that we're okay. We long to be seen. Maggie, my daughter Maggie, I've got 17 and 16-year-old daughters. Maggie, when she was younger, she, uh, she loved to do cartwheels, practice cartwheels in the living room, and she'd do them over and over and over again, and she'd say, Daddy, 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 you see me? And I loved it. i just watch her and watch her, and she'd, she'd do the cartwheel, and she'd get up, and she'd look just to make sure I saw her. But now my, you know, now they're older. My oldest daughter's 17. She's a senior. She's sophisticated now. But she still needs me to see her. And so she's in this kind of like traveling choir. And when Sarah and I show up and we, we sit down and to watch her sing, she inevitably makes eye contact with us. And I can see the delight in her eyes. They're here. They love me. They see me. Aren't we all longing for the gaze of God? We all long to be known. And, and even more, as we experience the gaze of God, we become conduits of the gaze of God to others. Uh, there's this brilliant Jewish philosopher named Emmanuel Levinus. He lived from 1906 to 1995. And he said, the only thing that really transforms people is the face of the other. He said, the only thing that really transforms people is the face of the other, the empathetic face of the other, the compassionate face of the other. Don't we see this in the Bible, Ruth to Naomi? You know, the compassionate uh, face of Ruth that allows Naomi to go on another day, to live and to thrive and to sustain. We see Jesus looking in the eyes of women in a dark patriarchal society. The women begin to believe that they're worth something, and they follow him. Like what, what if God is gazing upon you right now? Like what, what, if, what if it's really true? Like suspend disbelief for just a moment. What if God is smiling at you, you with, with your story, you with your pain? What if God is smiling at you right now? What if God is delighted at you and in you and with you right now? What if God is like a mother who gazes into the eyes of her child and smiles and delights in her? A quote by James Finley. James Finley, who um, was mentored and directed by Thomas Merton, James Finley writes, when God gazes at us and we gaze at God, both of us light up. I love that. When God gazes at us and we gaze at God, both of us light up. God lights up in the sense of the joy of being recognized by the one that he created in his own image. For us, it's a moment of visceral, intimate communion or oneness that feels like homecoming. God delights in you, gazes at you. So, so why, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, why, why did the people who came up with all the like church holidays and the, what they call the liturgical calendar, why did they decide to put Ash Wednesday, like three or four days after Transfiguration Sunday? What was the logic behind that? I think one of the messages of Ash, Wednesdays, uh, Ash Wednesday is this. You, you don't have to become glorious on your own. It's not up to you. You don't have to pretty yourself up. You don't have to pull yourself up. You don't have to prop yourself up. God meets you right where you are. God meets you right where you are. God meets you in your limitation. God meets you in your humanity. God meets you in your ordinariness. When, uh, when Adam or Will or others impose ashes on your forehead this Wednesday and say, you are dust and to dust you shall return, they are not saying to you, you're despicable. 
you're dirty, you're disgusting, you're dispensable, you're discardable. They're not saying that at all. That's not what Ash Wednesday is about at all. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. You're human. You're limited. You're ordinary. You're enough just the way you are. Uh, Brene Brown says this so very well. She says, narcissism is the refusal to be ordinary. Grandiosity is the refusal to be ordinary. You're ordinary. Can we oh, be, like, be okay being ordinary? <laughs> being limited? It's okay. You don't have to pretty yourself up, pull yourself up, prop yourself up. You're glorious because God looks at you, gazes upon you, and sees you as glorious and so you've got Transfiguration Sunday and Ash Wednesday. And, and together, together, I feel like they're, they're a recipe for like spiritual wholeness, spiritual vitality. Both together, you're glorious and you're limited. They're, they're a recipe for spiritual vitality, for spiritual wholeness. I remember working with a pastor who, who felt like he had made his way to the top. He had a church of thousands, and that, that's when you know you're at the top, when you have a church of thousands, right, Will and Adam, Lord. Um, he didn't want to be ordinary. He had to be a pastor of a large church, a big church, a mega church. But when he came to see me for counseling, this guy hated himself. He hated himself. He lived from a posture of, of grandiosity but he had no sense of his own glory. And he burned out and he fizzled out and now I think he's trying to make it as a life coach somewhere. You're glorious. So in a few days, the pastors will impose ashes. And I want you to keep in mind that quote from Rabbi Bunin. Keep two pieces of paper in your pocket. One that says, I'm a speck of dust. The other that says, the world was created for me. The world was created for me. The world was created for you. When Peter, John, and James ascended the Mount of Transfiguration, they saw Jesus transformed. They saw Jesus transfigured. But little did they know on that day that they would be too. That they would be too. That they would be transformed as well. And I wonder if on this cold morning, for those of you who, who brave the cold, who showed up as, as uh, did, what did you say, Will, that these folks are more spiritual than everyone else? Yeah, you're more spiritual, more, way more glorious than anyone else. Um, that, that for those of us who are here this morning, I wonder if we can rest in the extraordinary reality that we're delighted in, that God smiles at us, that Moses met God in the mountain, and Moses saw God face to face, and his whole being radiated in this dazzling glory. There's something about mountains, isn't there? That Moses goes up the mountain. Moses sees God, and his whole being now is radiating, dazzled with the glory of God. That Jesus goes up the Mount of Transfiguration, and he's transformed, and his entire being radiates. These, these are what are called the thin places. Have you heard that term before? You live in a thin place. You live in the mountains. The thin places. They say these are the places where heaven meets earth. These are where people put temples. Places where God dwells. Yet the Apostle Paul calls you a temple. You are the thin place. You are the place where God dwells. You are radiating with dazzling light. A dazzling light 
and glorious image bearer called to radiate that light to the world. May God bless us in this work. May God convince us at the depth of our own beings, the depth of our own souls, that we are made to be bearers of this light for the sake of the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.